All right, good morning, church. Good morning. So a children's minister was delivering a message to the children, and he asked the children, he said, boys and girls, what is living in a tree? It collects nuts, and it has a big, bushy tail. And one of the little boys raised his hand, and he said, preacher, I know the answer's got to be Jesus, but it sure does sound like a squirrel to me. (laughs) And so this morning, we are talking about the sweetest name I know, and it's the name of Jesus. And Jesus really is the answer, and he's the answer. This thing is not going to stay up here this morning. I'll get that when I need it. Um, So Jesus is the answer, and he is the um, the promise of Advent. He is what this season is all about. And so when we come to Scripture and we see that his name is proclaimed at Jesus as Jesus, it tells us a lot about him. And when we hear the name of Jesus, it stirs a lot of emotions in our hearts. Sometimes for people, it is the sweetest name that they know because at the name of Jesus, their lives radically changed and they experienced the grace in his eyes and they experienced the forgiveness and they experienced everything that he has to offer. And for some people, the name of Jesus is controversial. For some people and in some places, it's not even permitted or it's not even um, looked upon to say the name of Jesus. In some families, when you utter the name of Jesus as your Savior, then you are cast out from that family. In some cultures, you're condemned. And so when the name of Jesus radically changes things, it radically changes our perspective. And so we're coming at the end of our, of our sermon series on the story of God in the Old Testament. And so we saw all of these themes in the Old Testament that Chris preached through, and every single one of those pointed us to Jesus. Even our failure pointed us to Jesus. And we saw his goodness and we saw his grace because throughout the Old Testament, Testament, all the Old Testament saints are looking forward to the cross. All the Old Testament saints are hoping for a Messiah to come. They're hoping for a Savior. And then we get to the New Testament. After we talked about last week, a long period of silence from God, we get to the New Testament and the Gospels, and the Messiah has come, and he is here. And so for our main text this morning in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, I want to just tell you a little bit about the context of what's happening here, what we're going to read. So when we read this text, it's an angel that is speaking to Joseph in a dream. And you know the story of Joseph and Mary. And so Joseph and Mary are betrothed. It means that they're engaged to be married. And all of a sudden, Mary is impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph starts thinking about what this means and all the implications this has for his life and for the community that he's living in. And so in the time and in the culture that this takes place, um, a betrothal or an engagement is, is, a, is a very serious agreement. And in fact, if, if there's infidelity that takes place during the engagement, then divorce is almost an obligation. And so G- Joseph starts 
thinking through all of this and he's thinking, what should I do? And scripture tells us that Joseph is a just and he's a righteous man. And so he does, he resolves in his heart and in his mind that he's going to divorce Mary in a quiet manner so that he doesn't bring any shame upon her. He wants to honor her even in the process. And so this is kind of where we pick up our part of the story that we're going to read this morning. And, and the angel appears to Joseph and he tells Joseph, don't be afraid. And he gives them some details about why. So if you would look in scripture with me at Matthew chapter 1 verses 21 through 23. Angel speaking, it says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. May God add his blessing and favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. If you would, join me as we pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. And we do pray that you would speak to us. We pray that your word would be living and active in our hearts. We pray that as Hebrews tells us, it would be sharper than a two-edged sword and that it would pierce our hearts and divide what's spiritual and what's not. And Father, we do pray that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction where there needs to be conviction and that your Holy Spirit would bring encouragement where there needs to be encouragement. And Father, this morning as we look at the scripture and examine the name of Jesus, we pray that you would make his presence known to us and real to us and applicable to our lives. We pray that through this sermon that we would see Jesus and him only and that we would experience him in, in all that he has to offer with grace and mercy, and we would know that he has come and that he is with us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to tell you, in um, Baptist seminaries, when you take homiletics classes about preaching, one thing that they teach you is whenever you preach a sermon, if it's going to be a good sermon, you should have three points and a poem. And so I only have two points this morning, um, which for you, the good news is that means you might get to beat the Methodists to lunch. So um, stay with me, though. I have two points. Uh, The first one is this. It's that Jesus is the Savior. And so first we see that Jesus says that the child, the angel says that the child's name should be called Jesus. And so this is the Greek equivalent to Joshua, and it means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. The name Jesus literally means Savior. And so when we think about Christmas, when we say things like Jesus is the reason for the season, we say that Jesus has come to save his people. He has come to die for our sins. He has come to bring us back to life from the dead. He is literally saving us from our sins and from ourselves. Charles Spurgeon says this about this particular passage. He says, the name of Jesus was comforting at the first mention of it by the angel of the Lord. Because of the words with which it was accompanied, for they meant to remove perplexity and anxiety from Joseph's mind. The angel said to him, fear not, and truly no name can banish fear like the name of Jesus. It is the beginning of hope and the end of despair. 
the good news that the, the, the angel had brought to Joseph is that Jesus is coming. A child is born, and his name should be called Jesus. His name should be called Savior. And so this brought peace to Joseph and his situation even before human eyes beheld the Son of God. And then as Jesus is born, the good news comes and calms fear yet again. If you just turn over to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, we have the familiar story of Christmas. He says, um, if you turn over to Luke chapter 2, we'll start in verse 8. Let me get there with you. And in the same regions, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And there was suddenly with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so just as an angel had made known to Joseph that the Savior is going to be born and that Mary is with child who is the Savior and his name should be Jesus, then Jesus is born and a multitude, a heavenly host, appears to shepherds who are in the field. They're keeping watch over their flock and they say, fear not because a Savior is born in the city of David and his name is Christ the Lord. And so there's a great news and there's a theme as we see in the record of the birth of Christ that fear is cast out and a Savior has come. The name that that Jesus has as a Savior is given because he indeed does save people from their sin. Jesus states, J.C. Ryle states this about Jesus. He says, this is his special office. He saves them from the guilt of sin by washing them in his own atoning blood. He saves them from the dominion of sin by putting in their hearts the sanctifying spirit. He saves them from the presence of sin when he takes them out of this world to rest with him. He will save them from all the consequences of their sin when he gives them a glorious body on the last day. And so all throughout the life of the believer, we see that sin is cast out. We see that Jesus is saving us from our sin. We saved us when we, when we accepted him as our Savior, when we gave our hearts to him, when we believed in our hearts and we confessed with our mouth and, and we were made his. And he sustains us through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and he secures us forever in heaven with him. So he holds us and we don't 
hold him. And this is a sweet, humble name, the name of Jesus, Savior. The Son of God could have come into the world in a variety of ways. In fact, the people of God weren't expecting him to enter the world with such humility. When they think Messiah, many of the people were waiting on a, on a conqueror, someone who would be majestic, and they would come and they would bring the nation of Israel back to prominence. And yet here we see a man who is afraid and an angel comes and and tells him to fear not with his bride who is the Virgin Mary and they travel into Bethlehem and there's a quiet birth in a manger. And an angel bursts on the scene and tells the shepherds, don't be afraid because the child is born. And it's such an incredible way for the Son of God, for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to meet humanity in a humble manner such as this. And so... It may not be what the people of God expected, but it's just what they needed. And it's just what you and I need, because it may not be what we expect either. And Jesus may not always do or say the things that we expect him to do or we expect him to say, but he always does just what we need, just when we need it. And so the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8 that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so again, we see that Jesus is setting us free. John 3, 17 tells us that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so the question I think for us this Christmas season, this Advent season is how, how do we be saved? What do we do with that? And so we've heard a lot about it. And I think it's, I think it's important to remember for non-believers and for believers what the gospel really is, because the gospel is what drives us as believers, and the gospel is what saves us, the gospel is what secures us, the gospel is what sanctifies us. And so when we, when we look at the gospel, it's so important for us to remember that we are indeed sinners. We are sinners by nature, and we are sinners by what we have done. Every week we confess about the things that we, we ask God to forgive us as we confess the things we have done and the things that we have not done. We are guilty before God on so many various levels. But then there's this great story about a Savior. And we see this Savior who comes as the perfect Lamb of God. And John the Baptist is on, uh, in the river and, and he beholds Jesus and he points and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus has come to take away our sin. And then we see Jesus who willingly lays down his life for us. And Colossians tells us that your record of debt and my record of debt was nailed through his hands. And the blood of Jesus alone has cleansed us from our sin and secured us for all of eternity. That's what the gospel is really all about. It's about us needing a savior and God provided a savior and he called his name Jesus because it literally means savior. And so the gospel simply is that Jesus saves sinners. You may have heard the news this week that R.C. Sproul has passed away, and R.C. Sproul was um, a great pastor, Christian leader, author, 
and um, impacted my life in, in a lot of various ways by, by his work and his ministry. And I, so I've seen different clips going around this week just from his sermons and whatnot. And I think the one that I love the most was one that fits well here to illustrate what Jesus does for us. He says that when Jesus gives us a new life, it isn't that he's just kind of making our old life better. But Sproul said what Jesus does is he goes down to the bottom of the ocean He pulls the dead man out, and he breathes life into his lungs, and he lives again. And I think that's an incredible picture of the gospel. That's an incredible explanation of why his name is Jesus, because he literally saves dead men live again because of the name of Jesus. And so I think maybe in this season, it's easy for us to forget that, um, even as believers. And so I would say that the reminder for us is to preach the gospel, to preach the gospel to ourselves and remember that God has freed us and we don't need to feel guilty because we can run to Jesus and he wraps his arms around us and he reminds us that he loves us so much that he gave his life to save us. And so then the second point that we see here is also about his name. And so we see at the end of verse 23, a prophecy that's fulfilled. Um, Verse 22 says that all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And the angel says, uh, so the prophecy reads, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this name Emmanuel is quoted from the prophet Isaiah and the specific verse is Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. And so the prophet tells us of the coming of the Messiah and the name Emmanuel means God with us. And so I want to give you a little bit about the context of why Isaiah said that in the first place, why God called him and impressed on him to say that to the people of David's house. And so uh, in Isaiah chapter 7, Ahaz is the heir to David's throne. And the the nation or the, the people of Israel had all of these different threats coming against them at the time. In fact, a coalition had formed between Syria and Ephraim. And from 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 1 through 9, we learn a little bit more about this. And we can understand that although Ahaz is the heir to David's throne, he hasn't put his faith in God as David did. He has put his faith in the king of Assyria. And he has given gold, And he has given riches um, from the temple to the Assyrians in order to convince them to help his people if Syria was to attack. And so Ahaz has obviously placed his hope in the Assyrians and not in God. And so Isaiah is, is calling Ahaz and the people of David's house, the people of Jerusalem, to put their faith in the Lord himself instead of the Assyrians. And the Lord, in fact, invites Ahaz to request a sign to strengthen his faith in chapter 7, verse 11. However, in a very hypocritical fashion, Ahaz refuses to do so. We know this from verse 12 of chapter 7, also from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then Isaiah addresses the house of David, accusing the royal house 
of, of turning their back on God and not placing their faith and trust in him, but instead uh, placing it in the Assyrians. And so then this is where Isaiah says this passage. This is the context. He says, um, a son will be born of a virgin and his name should be called Emmanuel. And so Isaiah speaks with the authority of God behind him and Ahaz and his house fall under judgment. The sign directly addresses the failures of Ahaz. The fulfillment of the prophecy comes about through direct and divine intervention in human history, and ultimately it finds its fulfillment in the birth of Jesus, because it's by his very nature that we are saved. It's by the fact that God is with us that we can trust him. And the message for us when we hear that God is with us is that we don't need to trust in anything else because there's so much in this world that we could put our trust in. There's so many things that we could put our hope in, and there's so many things that our culture begs us to put our hope in instead of God. Our culture begs us to put our hope in ourselves or our success or our family or how good of a job we've done at something or how much money we make or what degree we have hanging on the wall. And the whole time, the God, the creator of the universe is standing before us and he's saying, just trust me. I'm offering this to you and I've proved it by sending Jesus and he is God with you. And he invites us to come and to trust him and to lean in on him because all else in life will fail. All else in life will pass away. Nothing lasts forever except the name of Jesus. And so we see a couple things with this name, Emmanuel, as God reminds us that Jesus is the God-man, that he is God incarnate, and he is fully divine, and yet he is fully human. And so we see a couple different implications from this. First, we see the divinity of Jesus serves as the foundation of our faith and our hope. And John tells us in his gospel that Jesus was God, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was in the beginning. Paul tells of Christ's preeminence in Colossians chapter 15 verses 1 through 20. And even in Matthew chapter 8, the winds and the seas obey him. He just steps out and he says, peace be still and everything is calm and quiet. And I love that because it shows us that Jesus is fully divine. He was creator in the beginning and he has authority over his creation. And so we can't think of Jesus as a mere prophet or even a religious founder. He is who he claims to be in John chapter 10 verse 30. He is I am. In John chapter 10 verse 30, Jesus says, before Abraham was I was. And so I want to read you a passage um, from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. And maybe you've heard this before and maybe you haven't, but C.S. Lewis presents Jesus as, um, as you, you can't just say he is a mere prophet or he was a good moral teacher. He says, when you look at Jesus and the things that he claimed and the things and the statements he made, like John chapter 10, verse 30, where he says, before Abraham was, I am. When you see all of that, you can't say Jesus is just a good person because he, he flat out claimed to be God. He claimed to be divine. He claimed that his name was Emmanuel, God with us. He's claiming divinity. And so Lewis says, you can't just say he was a good person. Here's what Lewis says. He says, 
I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral leader. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I love Lewis's take there because as, as this scripture tells us, he is God with us and he is fully claimed to be God with us. And that tells us of his divinity. So this Advent season, let us remind ourselves that the Jesus we worship is fully divine. He is fully God. He is God with us. And so then this also reminds us that, God, that Jesus is human, God with us. He dwelt among us. Heaven met earth. He came and he lived with us. And so the humanity of Jesus serves us the comfort in our trials and, and, our, and just how frail we are as human beings. Jesus can empathize with us. He can sympathize with us. He knows what we're going through. And so I think it's important during Advent season to be reminded that Jesus really was human. He was flesh and blood, and he was an infant who was swaddled by his mother and laid in a manger. He uh, was a little boy who grew up and learned to walk and run and play, and he felt as he grew, grew up sorrow and sadness and disappointment. Scripture tells us at times he had no place to lay his head. He became tired and angry or hungry and, and angry, and he was tempted as we are, and yet without sin. And therefore, the writer of Hebrews tells us we can approach his throne boldly and with confidence because he knows what it's like to be us. He knows what it's like to be a human. And so this, this also reminds us of what we're to do as believers. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew ends his gospel in, in much the same way that he begins it. He begins it with the story of God with us and, and, and proclaiming Emmanuel as Jesus' name. And then in Matthew chapter 28, we see the Great Commission, what we're to do as believers. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples that they are to do. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so the name Emmanuel doesn't just mean that Jesus is with those who are alive at the time that, the, that Matthew's gospel was written. It doesn't just mean that 
God is with us during Advent and Christmas season on the church calendar. It means that he is with us until the end of the age. And it means that we as believers have a job to do, and it's to share the good news of the gospel. It's to share his name. It's to make the name of Jesus famous because it is the name that is worthy to be famous. It is the only name by which people can be saved. And so I want us to ask ourselves this Christmas season, uh, what does the name of Jesus do for our hearts? Does it stir our hearts? And if it doesn't, I think the invitation is to come to him and let him stir your heart for him and for the good news of the gospel. And I want you to look um, back at Matthew's gospel, chapter 27. If you're in 28, it's probably just one page over. And so this is this is the crucifixion unfolding, and Jesus is willingly laying down his life for your sin and for my sin. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 through 54, we see the response after Jesus has died from one of the uh, centurion. Um, we'll start in verse 50. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his, re- after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. And so when we hear those words, I invite you to join the centurion this Christmas season. They had seen crucifixions before. That was part of the job. But there was not another crucifixion like this in all of human history. Because Jesus, Savior, Jesus Emmanuel, he had come to die on the cross. He died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. But that's not the end of the story, and we know that on this side of things. He is resurrected. He is living and alive, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for us. And one day he's coming again in the second advent. And we as Christians look forward and we anticipate that. And so we know from Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the name of Jesus, the name of our Savior, the name of God with us. And so I think it's important for us this Christmas season to remember and to proclaim Jesus truly as the Son of God.